Hello, and welcome to the 116th episode of the Not Your Mama's Gamer podcast, a podcast where we talk about games and gaming from a feminist perspective. My name is Samantha Blackman, and I'm an associate professor here at Purdue University in wonderful West Lafayette, Indiana, where I talk about, read about, write about, think about, dream about, amongst other things, <laughs> video games, video games, video games. Um, and I am joined tonight um, by two other um, NYMG staffers and a special guest. Um, tonight we are joined by Ed Orman. Orman is the correct pronunciation, Ed? That is right. Yay. <clears throat> Who is uh, one of the co-founders of Uppercut Games. Um, and Uppercut made one of the games that we've all been playing uh, recently and really enjoying. Um, so we really wanted to get a chance to talk to him about it. Um, and that game is submerged. <clears throat> so um, let's run through pretty quickly and, and tell us a bit about who we are. And uh, Ed, since we try to be polite around here, can you mm -hmm. tell us a little about yourself? Uh, me? Myself? Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> okay. So... Uh, you want my star sign, or are we just starting a little bit more officially? Uh, I guess I've been I've been making games since 1997. I'm Australian, if that's not obvious from the accent. Um, I like all kinds of games. Uh, we started our own company, I guess, four years ago, called Uppercut. And before that, I worked with two of the other founders at a big company called 2K which was originally called Irrational Games, who you might know from Bioshock and um, uh, a whole bunch of games like that. So we were super lucky to be working with them. But yeah, I've always I've always loved games, but I, like, I fully lucked into getting a job in the games industry as an illustrator, and then I became a designer. And from that point on, it's just been game design. Awesome. Okay, and we'll jump in. Oh, because we have uh, Ashley's uh, tonight's her first night, yeah, actually on the on the podcast. Yeah. You've read wonderful things that she's written, but now she's coming to talk to us as well. Ashley, who are you, darling? What up? Well, I'm Ashley. Uh, I'm a second year PhD student at Purdue, um, studying a uh, second language. I think I just said that. And that's pretty much all I know about myself. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm trying to think about what I was doing in 1997. <laughs> but <laughs> oh, youngin. Oh. <laughs> I, was about, I was about 11. Maybe, so I was off the playground. But <laughs> nice. Thanks for rubbing that in. But, yeah. I know. Tell me about it. I, <laughs> in 1987, I, I was probably about where you are now, Ashley, in terms of, yeah. Oh, Yeah. Uh -huh. So you're going a little psychotic? started? <laughs> 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 that too. That too. <laughs> so, yeah, um, that's about all I know. I have a cat named Pippin. <laughs> Such a glorious cat. Such a yeah, it, and it's not from this musical play I've heard about. It's not where you got his name. It's from Lord of the Rings. I just want to clarify that. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, yeah, I'm drinking cider. Don't no, 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 tell them about the drinking. Oh, yet. I didn't know. My bad. I'm not drinking cider. I'm drinking water. <laughs> <laughs> Staying hydrated. 
Yes, hydration is key. Good message for our listeners. Yes. Absolutely. And Bianca? <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. Yes. Hi. Uh, Bianca Batty here. Um, I am also a second year PhD student at Purdue. Um, but I am doing uh, 20 and 21st century American literature, which is a mouthful. Um, and I uh, like to focus on video games as a form of like contemporary storytelling. How do we tell stories in the different medias, uh, mediums that we're, we're seeing today and kind of what does that tell us about ourselves? So that's kind of what I'm working on right now. Happy to be here. What were you doing in 1997? I was 10. I think my dad was making me learn how to play violin, and I was not happy about it. Yeah. It, that lasted oh, for like was... two months. So, and then I, huh. I moved on to the trumpet. Because <laughs> that's, a, that's a sexy <laughs> instrument right there. You sound bitter. Very bitter. I mean, well, the trumpet is pretty bitter brass. Yeah, yeah. There's uh, some, some sore armature happening as a result of that instrument, but that's okay. I learned music, and that is the important thing. Music is important, everyone. Another good message. Stay hydrated, play music. That's what we're learning today. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, for the sake of time, and so that we have lots of time to ask Ed all kinds of great questions, um, we'll jump uh, into kind of quickly um, talking about what we're drinking. Ashley was really anxious to tell us about her cider. <laughs> I know. I love my cider so much. Um, the cider comes from Michigan, but I'm an Ohio State fan. Just got to clarify that. Um, and it's blue gold, and it's from Vandermill. It's delicious. It's apples and blueberries. Ooh. Yummy. Mm-hmm. Being a, being a native Michigander, I tell you, they make really good ciders. Yeah, they do. Um, and Vandermill makes excellent ciders. The Blue Gold is good, but it's not my favorite. My favorite would totally. have to be totally roasted. Yeah, that's vanilla with pecans and apples. Yeah. And cinnamon. Yeah. I know my ciders. Yes, I know. <laughs> that one is amazing. Your cider choice, though, Sam, is not always that great. Just uh, well... Oh, the shade of it all. <laughs> I try new ciders. I don't stick with all. I don't stick with the same ones over and over again. So sometimes we get some crappy ones in the bunch. <sighs> it happens. I didn't realize they were a big thing now. Like, I mean, there's been several different types out here, but it sounds like you guys have a lot more variety than us. <laughs> oh yeah, there's like pineapple cider. Oh my gosh. Yeah, they 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 are they have like because as big as thing as like craft beers had become now there's like this huge wave of craft ciders. Mm -hmm. So yeah, which is better than beer. <laughs> it's tastier usually. Yeah, I agree. Goes down easier. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> how, many, how, many, how many of you guys had so far? <laughs> I just I'm not drinking cider. I'm drinking wine. So, and I have had two glasses already. So, you know, we're, we're getting things going. <laughs> what kind of wine are you drinking, Bianca? I am actually keeping going with the uh, playing of music theme. It's called Red Guitar. Uh, yeah, oh, bringing nice. it all together. It is a uh, Tempranillo Garnacha blend. 
So, uh, yeah. Is that going to be there tomorrow when I get there? Unless I drink this whole bottle, which <laughs> you never know. But I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to say yes, there will be some. We can drink, we can drink it tomorrow. <laughs> As she runs out to buy another bottle for yeah. a second. <laughs> Mental note, grocery store is on my to-do list. <laughs> Don't forget the bonbons. Oh, yeah, that's right. i got to pick her up some bonbons, too, because I am apparently Ashley's maid and uh, running all her errands. <laughs> Lovely. Wait, wait, what do you mean by bonbons? No, this is a cultural thing. When oh. you say bonbons, what do you think about? Yeah, like, like, what are they, like? I never even cream. actually had a bonbon. <laughs> Usually, right. but they did. They did go through where there was a there was um an ice cream bonbon. Yeah, there is an ice, ice cream. cream one. Trader yeah. Joe's has some really delicious ice cream ones. I thought yeah. they were just like these pink mounds that were filled with stuff. So that's what you asked for. <laughs> okay. Nobody wants that. <laughs> 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 what what are they in Australia? Is it something different in Australia? Oh, they they can mean uh, like Christmas crackers, oh. uh, you know, like the can mean it can. Mm -hmm. Certainly, it's not pink stuff, <laughs> stuff for whatever it was <laughs> that I've encountered anyway. Okay. Man. I I think Ashley's just making that up, but okay. <laughs> what what did I make up? The pink thing, the pink bonbons. I don't no, know. They're like this. They're like pink, and they have like coconut sprinkles on them. Okay. Sure. Maybe. Yeah. Okay. We'll, we'll go with that. Mm -mm. You know what? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm gonna tell you what cider I'm drinking to make it mm -hmm, better. Mm -hmm. Um, I am drinking a local cider. Um, it's a South cider. It's a hard apple cider that's sweetened with honey. Um, and it comes out of um, New Day Meadery uh, in Indianapolis. And it's actually pretty good. Um, I picked up a bunch of new ciders uh, this week just to try some new ones. Um, I tried a artisanal strawberry cider earlier this week because uh, like reading through Beer Advocate and um, Untapped, people were talking, were complaining because they thought it was too sweet. And I was like, well, if it's a strawberry cider and it's sweet, I would probably love that. <laughs> but clearly they just wanted to fool me because <laughs> it was not nearly as sweet as people had complained of it being. It wasn't bad, uh, but it wasn't what I was looking for. But this actually, it's not, a, it's not super sweet. It's a semi-dry um, apple cider. Um, it kind of tastes like Granny Smith's apples with honey, and oh. it's yeah, it's really good. It's it's really helping that it's super cold. Um, and because I bought the single bottles, they're the they're the 550 milliliter bottles. So, and I'm like, I don't need a glass. I'm just gonna drink these straight out of the bottle. <laughs> <laughs> it's fair. You can do whatever you like in your own home. It's fine. <laughs> uh huh. <laughs> So I'm enjoying this one a lot. Thanks. Yeah. That's and, good. Well, yeah, I, I'm not drinking anything, unfortunately, so I can't join. That, oh, that I was going to say, unfortunately, I was going to say, because it's like 1 o'clock in the afternoon yeah, there. Yeah, so. it's, it's only just past lunch, so it's not, it's not unheard of, but no, I'm not drinking anything right now. <laughs> 
Well, see, next time, next time, if you join us again, Ed, we'll 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 shift times and record in the middle of our day so you can drink and we can we can sit back and just wish we were drinking. Actually, we we day no, drink I'll around drink here too. Yeah, yeah, I was gonna yeah. say. <laughs> <laughs> if I planned ahead, nope, I could not I something. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um. So. As we said, uh, one of the things, or the thing that we wanted to do tonight, is to to talk to Ed about um, Submerged um, because it was a game that was uh, it was the Xbox. The they they changed the name. It wasn't the Summer of Games this year, but it was one of the games that was released uh, with the Xbox Summer of Games this year. Um, correct, Ed. Yeah, yeah, that's okay. right. I can't, I can't remember what it was called either. To be I honest, know they the changed promotion. the name this year, which made yeah. it weird. It's um, essentially the same thing. Yeah, exactly. And it w and when it first came out, it was beautiful, and I was like, I have to have this game. So I, I, it was one of the games that I bought, and I got like super busy and never got around to playing it until um, we, a lot of us, were playing um, for the Extra Life Marathon. Uh, that raises money for the Children's Miracle Network hospitals, and I sat down and I played the game straight through, spending far too much time just kind of exploring the world, mm -hmm. because it was absolutely beautiful. Um, and I had a lot of I had a lot of feels through this game, <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and they were kind of laughing she at cried me. A little. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. I mean, that's it's it's good to hear. That it made you feel things. <laughs> it definitely made me feel things. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I have to say, at one point, I was mm -hmm. screaming at the television, um, <laughs> and they were like, "What is wrong with you?" But we'll talk more about that in a few moments. So uh, we'll just kind of jump in and 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 talk about and ask some of our questions. Um, one of the bigger questions that I have. Um, is about inspiration for the game because as I was playing through, um, I was like I said, I was Twitch streaming it, and we were in a room with like 12 people, and everybody was everybody like at one point or another they were watching me play simply because they were like, what has her reacting in such a way? Mm -hmm. um, but there was lots of questioning about what inspiration, um, what inspiration you guys may have had when you were thinking about this game. Um, so, what games inspired Submerged? Uh, Games-wise, um, so yeah, we, we like to sort of harken back to Journey. Um, so, I, I, I play a lot of games, and I have enjoyed a lot of the non-violent ones over the last few years that have come out. Mm -hmm. um, Journey was one that stuck with me, um, but also Shadow of the Colossus, which I guess is technically it's not. That's not a non-violent game, but you yeah. know the focus of it is not so much on the you know repetitive violence. Mm -hmm. um, but it, you know it had a sense of scale to it, um, which I really liked. So those two uh, are ones we harken back to a lot. But also last year uh, was Gone Home, I think. Yes. Uh, and uh, you know that that one again sort of. Put us onto the idea that you could make a game which was a little less traditional, a little bit more focused on the story um, than maybe what we'd previously done. So those are kind of the most recent examples. But there's 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 bits and pieces from all over the place, like uh, Eco or Ico, depending on how you say it. The one before mm -hmm. Shadow of the Colossus. In it, I'd always thought it was Ico, but apparently I'm wrong. Um, 
you know, that, again, a lot of you can see a lot of the climbing sort of aspects uh, yeah. we, we focused on for submerged there too. Um, but the the true story, the inspiration for the the very kernel of the idea of this game is is a Grand Theft Auto mod, believe it or not, which was yeah. uh, <laughs> somebody somebody had hacked GTA to to raise the ocean levels, and I saw a video <laughs> of that, and so yeah. you just had the city sticking up out of the ocean. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was the image that stuck in my head. It was like, hey, you know, that's a that's a really compelling idea, and and that's an, actually a kind of peaceful place from a distance. Um, so maybe there would be, you know, that's a setting that we could explore. And mm-hmm. we've done post-apocalyptic games before. I've done multiple post-apocalyptic games, but that was a an apocalyptic setting I thought was actually serene, um, as opposed to you know uh, the harshness and roughness that you usually get in those. So. Yeah, that was the original sort of kernel of that idea, and then we we sort of built on it from there. Yeah, it's it's an amazing game, and and um, before people kind of say, oh, it's a, you know, because some people don't like nonviolent games. I um, am not necessarily one of those people, uh, but I prefer games where I can. Uh, this child sounds terrible. I prefer <laughs> games where I can kill stuff. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know. The the funny thing is is for and and Ashley's I know she's gonna she's probably sitting there laughing for like the first couple of minutes that I was playing the game and I was like when do I get to kill something when do I get to kill something <laughs> <laughs> but seriously in, in all seriousness it took about five minutes before I forgot that I wanted to kill something mm-hmm. and just wanted to play the game mm-hmm. um, and. Like I said, it was a bunch of us in a room, and I was playing on my on my Xbox One, and Ashley came in, and she was like, "Well, let's take turns, and you find one thing, and then I'll find one thing, and then like 20 minutes later, she bought her own copy of the game because we didn't want to share anymore." <laughs> well, that's nice. Well, but it's definitely it's it's one of the challenges of um, there's so many new games and new types of games, and people are now. I think inspired to try different things as we were, um, but because of that breadth and everybody's sort of spreading out, trying different things, making sure people understand what the game is beforehand is mm-hmm. is the real challenge. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and I think um, I'm glad it only took you five minutes. You know, um, <laughs> some of the reviewers just never never liked it because it wasn't what they were expecting, and you know that's that's on us to try and communicate more beforehand, mm-hmm. you know, this is what this game is going to be like. So, yeah, going forward, it's one of the things we kind of learned from submerges. You know, we have to be much more up about it. Um, but I wouldn't change what the game is for the world. I, I'm still really happy with what we actually created. Yeah, like it, like I said, it's a beautiful game, and I wouldn't change it for the world either. And the, the interesting thing is that you say some of the other reviewers just can, um, weren't as favorable. Uh, because they, it wasn't what they were looking for or what mm-hmm. they thought it was going to be. And I never read reviews beforehand, but after I finished the game, I, that was the first thing I said to myself. I was like, I have to see what other people said about this game. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, we've been doing this for a while, or I've been doing this for a while. So I immediately thought the same thing. I said, so here's a bunch of folks that thought they were going to be able to kill something mm-hmm. and lots mm-hmm. of something, and they had that same initial... Um, can I? When do I get to kill something? Thing that I had, um, but they never gave themselves the opportunity to look past that. Because mm-hmm. if you give yourself the opportunity to look past it, it's the whole exploration 
uh, it's the whole exploration thing, and it's the finding of those pages mm -hmm. um, yeah. that gives that kind of twofold um, narrative unfolding thing mm -hmm. um, with the game, and that is kind of where my next question is going to go, mm -hmm. um, because that was wonderful to me. Um, is that we had um, the story kind of unfolding for us in two ways. Um, the actual story that we played through, mm -hmm. um, and then the story that we discovered mm -hmm. uh, through those pages. Mm -hmm. What was the method to the madness for that? Can you? I don't want to kind of like throw my idea of what I thought it was out there. <laughs> oh, so <laughs> why did we tell the story in, in those two ways? Yeah. Um, well, a couple of different, couple of different reasons. Like, I, I really loved uh, the idea of the. In most post-apocalyptic settings, I like the idea of what are the people who are left over do with the world afterwards. Yeah. Um, so I wanted to set up this idea of this culture and these these villages and these um, you know sort of uh, people who are living off the ocean. Um, so what would they be like, you know, and, and what would they do with the world and how would they write things down? Um, so I wanted to have that uh, aspect reflected in the game. And so, you know, that's naturally that would be how Miku is going to you know, write down her thoughts is in their, in their language, which is this pictographic sort mm -hmm. of thing. But at the same time, you know, you've got a, a, we've got this fully realized 3D world and we've got things that are actually happening in real time that you're playing through. And so that's where our cutscenes come in and... Um, that's where we show you, you know, like the front story of like this is actually now what's happening. Um, but we wanted to marry those two things. So you know, like why are they in the city and why is she going around in the 3D world doing these things and what brought them here? And so those two stories. That's why we did the pictographic one for the past and the real 3D world for the company you know, present. Mm -hmm. um, but there's also obviously there's the other story is you know the city and what happened to it. Um, which again, as you know, you know that that sort of gets revealed through exploration, um, and who's writing down those pictograms is s sort of still a bit of a mystery that we wanted to leave in there. Mm -hmm. But uh, but it felt right that we would use the pictographic um, pictographic form for selling that story. Yeah, mm. and I really okay. like how that like incorporates us into the way that narrative unfolds and is told, you know, at playing through the games and sort of encountering these these fragments, these these images as yeah. we keep playing and having to be really active participants in mm -hmm. constructing the narrative of the city and and of you know uh, of the characters and everything uh, ourselves and so that for me that level of engagement was really fascinating and cool and really made me feel like you know like how the game tells its various stories um, was really interesting to me and that's what I think was one of the the coolest things to to really think about was how this makes us you know, think about how games can tell stories in different ways. And in the case of this game, in ways that are, you know, more about experience and images and what we encounter as opposed to, like, heavy dialogue um, mm -hmm. and things like that. Yeah. So I, I really loved loved that part of it, um, personally. Well, the thing, I, the, to get really 
boringly technical briefly, <laughs> um, you know, there are techniques that we've been using since that I learned working on Bioshock 1, mm-hmm. um, you know, that about, um, well, putting story into the world itself, but mm-hmm. also revealing story in pieces. You know, there are logs in Bioshock 1. There are characters that you get to know. You know, you never meet them, but you get to hear their logs as you right. collect them. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that technique's been used by a lot of different games now. Mm-hmm. But one of the things I really like about the pictograms is that they're not um, absolute. They're not directly... It's not somebody telling you, well, this is how I'm feeling, and yeah. this is a series of events that happened. There's a lot left up to you to sort of interpret. So even when you get all of them, right. uh, there's still some ambiguity there. And I, I really like that. I like yeah. not having an answer, specific answer to all of the questions. Yeah, yeah. That was super fun. I was just like sitting in my living room talking to myself as I was playing. Like, oh, what does that mean? Okay, that's lightning maybe? Okay. But especially because also you get to reinterpret them too. You come up with all of these answers for what does this pictogram mean? But when you get four of them in a sequence, you, you might go, oh, okay, actually this one here didn't mean what I thought at all in that context. So, yeah, it, yeah. it just lent an extra edge to it, which I really liked. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, let's. I'm going to stop asking a million questions, and I'm going to reserve the right to come back and ask another one or two in a second. But right. uh, we'll jump forward and say, Ashley, what about you, honey? Oh, I have so many thoughts. <laughs> um, I still consider myself a newbie when it comes to games, and I really, I think what I like most about your game is that it, it is narrative-based, and there are so many things that are going on that you pay attention to. Um, and and what, I think one of the things I was really curious about was the idea of these, like, the creatures and mm-hmm. how I thought that they were evil at first because that's what you kind of expect in a post-apocalyptic um, scenario, especially with kids who are like orphaned and abandoned. You're like, oh god, here's these creatures. She has no gun. She has no arrow. They're gonna all die. Everybody's dying. Um, <laughs> but you don't really see that they, as you notice, they seem more like guardians, kind of leading her, even to some of the the supplies that she needs for her brother. And I was wondering if you could just kind of speak more to their intended role and what inspired that the kind of ambiguous relationship for me as a player and other players? I think what we discovered once we had some of them, we call them remnants, um, and there's a there's yeah. an entire backstory about how they came to be, but um, what we discovered once we got some of them into the game was that we got a really good um, tension arc out of them, which is exactly what you're describing, which is people would see these creatures, would expect something of those creatures, and then have a realization, you know, about them. Um, and it pretty much happens for every one of them. Even 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 halfway through the game, a lot of people were still, you know, having the expectation of trouble. But then you have that release of no, it's actually okay. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you you would have encountered the whales, for example, when you when you're boating around too, and and they very much like a lot of people run away from them. Um, the first time they appear, people get terrified and turn the boat in the other direction. Nope. I went with them. <laughs> well, see, well, there you go. You're one of the brave people. Um, but yeah, it's funny. It, it, it's, it was kind of nice to play with people's expectations, especially in a video game. You know, if there's an enemy there, you're expecting to have to, to beat it up with a stick or shoot it with a gun or something. But mm-hmm. um, instead, we got to have this nice, ambiguous uh, 
creatures that are hanging around and yeah, eventually you start asking questions about how much actually are they helping you. Mm-hmm. So are they a product of the environment having changed or... Because she was changing with the game and so it almost seems like she was going to turn into one of them and then they like, were like, no, you don't have to be one of us, stay human. <laughs> hmm, oh well. I'm not going to do any spoilers. Because <laughs> I like our ambiguous, I like our ambiguous story. You know, like what did you uh, think they were like by the end of the game? Oh, is that a question for me or other players? <laughs> yeah, well, it sounds like you've got some assumptions it, it about it. It seemed to me that game. she would have changed eventually. That she was coming in contact with the elements. That there was some kind of um, causal factor that was shifting her appearance, but not her brother's because he wasn't coming in contact with it. Mm-hmm. Maybe it was the water or um, whatever caused the water. If there was like, I'm not really sure what happened, but yeah, it seemed like she was going to become one of them and then die. <laughs> <laughs> and then her brother was going to die and then everybody's just going to die. Uh-huh. But I'm very happy it's, that it was. It's, you know. <laughs> it's a pretty grim setting. That, that's, it is. Um, you know, for a non-violent game, it is still a fairly grim setting, and part of that's kind of the fairy tale, old fairy tale aspect, mm-hmm. I think, which which was super grim mm-hmm. anyway. You know, even though they had happy, some had happy endings, or some had good moral lessons in them. Um, you know, this is still a post-apocalyptic world, still still not a happy place. Mm-hmm. But we but we didn't want to. We wanted to have that as a backdrop, not the sort of main, the main thing about the you know the story that we were telling. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm not going to directly answer. Yeah. What that no, is. it's fine. <laughs> That's I'm fine. I'm not mad about it. I think. Uh, but I have to say that that is the part of the game, Ashley. Ashley, you were you were watching me stream this. Yeah. Uh, but <laughs> that was the part of the game. Like at the at the um, at a moment uh, <laughs> when she encounters them up close and personal, um, I literally started crying and screaming at the television, going, "What are they doing to her?" <laughs> <laughs> it was very emotional. It was. It was extremely emotional, um, and for you know for a number of reasons because you start to um, you start to write your own history for these characters that you call remnants um, mm-hmm. as you play through the game because you you don't know mm-hmm. you know where they come from or if they you know have nefarious intentions. So you're like so you start to write this own you start to write your own narrative for them. Um, and like Ashley says, because you're in a post-apocalyptic world, we're so used to um, any remnants or people who've been affected by the apocalypse in some way being um, nefarious characters that um, to see them as anything else is almost impossible at, at mm-hmm. first blush. So, mm-hmm. but see, and I also think. The, the strength of doing it this way is you guys have written in your heads a better story than I could ever write. Um, <laughs> ser- no, seriously, you know, like I've done game stories before um, where we're very specific and, you know, we have, you know, everything is is laid out for the player and, you know, we, we spell it all out. But I actually think it's probably more compelling what you're imagining the background is than anything I would have written down in my notebook. So it's awesome to hear that that's what you were doing is filling in the blanks. <laughs> Okay, Ashley, do you have more questions or you want to jump over to Bianca? 
I have so many questions. <laughs> um, I kind of want to go back to the idea that it's nonviolent because even in the construction of the of Taku and Miku, I mean, there is that element of um, abuse that kind of emerges. Yes. And so, even though it's not immediately in the play, it it feels violent because you know that they're children and you know what happened. Mm -hmm. And it, so, like, what went through the process of kind of merging that um, that that kind of violence with a non-violent apocalyptic apocalyptic I can't say the word correctly. Goodness. Just, it might be the cider. It might be the cider. I don't know. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, apocalyptic uh, scenario. If that makes sense. So, uh, you know, the game was not initially non-violent. That's something we came to. Yeah, oh. we, we created, whilst we still, we had this idea of exploration being really, really key and mm -hmm. having this really serene-ish place to explore. There was a time when we were going inside the buildings, not just climbing on the outside of them, and we had, we prototyped some stealth mechanics and, you know, some pr pretty standard um, combat, and it wasn't, it wasn't gelling really well. Like, I don't think we... we we got it to a point that we actually really liked. But it also, we, I think it was after GDC last year, we just kind of had this realisation that we just didn't need it. Mm. Um, the game was, you know, the game was about the city, and every time we were going inside, we were losing the city. But also, you know, tracking around outside in the boat at your own pace was just the thing that we enjoyed the most out of it, and I think it presented the most serene experience. So we chucked all the combat out. Um, and once you chuck out combat, you chuck out health systems, you chuck out all of these traditional things that have come with other games, and you free yourself up to focus on the other things, like the story. Um, so that was a really pivotal moment, but it was really good. I'm, I'm really glad we did that. Yeah. Um, what, I still wanted to write a more, what's the word, a more personal, I guess, story that I've done for other games. Like, a lot of the time we're doing saving the world, you know, superheroes, uh, which are great and the kind of thing I like, but I wanted to do a here is a girl who's just trying to save her brother's story. Um, so it was meant to be much more simple um, and, you know, their backstory is is actually fairly straightforward once you once you find out what it is. Um, but that, that was just the simple story that I wanted to tell, but it needed to be serious and the threat needed to be real. Mm -hmm. um, so that's why it's, it's kind of a pretty unhappy beginning for those guys. Hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay. That answers it. <laughs> no, 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 it does. I'm pondering. Sorry. I ponder. And since it's you okay. can't see my face, you can't see my pondering. <laughs> so it looks like, oh, no, I didn't like that answer. That's not true. <laughs> no, I'm pondering. I mean, I like the fact that you did cut out the combat because it does make you focus on a story. And like I said, I'm new to the whole gaming thing, but... I like GTA like anybody else, mainly because I like shooting people, right? But I like the development of the story most in um, Submerged, and I, and I really like the relationship between the brother and the sister, mm -hmm. probably because I relate to it on many different levels. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. So I think that made it more special for me mm -hmm. in that in that process. Mm -hmm. Well, I also, when I was 11, my, my youngest sister was born, so I, I always had this sort of... Um, 
extremely overbearing sense of responsibility towards her, even though you know my parents were great and, and I didn't need to have it. But I remember <laughs> I, I, I had nightmares about you know having to look after her. So I always had this this I, I like that relationship. Mm -hmm. um, right. And I've got a ten-year-old and a two-year-old, so again, I could see that sort of uh, relationship forming back when my two-year-old was born as well. Was that my my older daughter was was very much like super careful with her and really wanted to take care of her, and I and I I, I like that. I like mm -hmm. the sibling sort of relationship that you can have. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, I have a similar age gap between me and my youngest brother. I was just mm -hmm. about eleven when he was born, um, so that was there was an instant nurturing kind of maternal thing that took over and then even just recently one of our, our staff members Alicia her son um, is just so sweet with his little sister it's adorable and how he does push-ups <laughs> at night so he can protect her if something happens <laughs> yeah. two and I don't know seven or eight yeah two so and seven I, so I think that's oh, wow. just really like a sibling relationship is just very special when, mm -hmm. when it's able to be molded correctly in an environment that nurtures that so and, and I know you probably, I think it's one of your questions about this is, you know, like, why did we choose a girl mm -hmm. as the main character? Mm -hmm. um, so it's sort of related to that. Like, the, the, the straight up answer is because why the hell couldn't we? You know, we can do what we want. It's, it's, it's our own world that we're creating. Um, and why wouldn't you have a female as a female protagonist? Mm -hmm. I've, Again, I've done plenty of games. Like our previous, the first games we made with this company were, you know, the main character is a robot, so it's <laughs> it's quasi ambiguous, but really it's a guy. You know, mm -hmm. like we treated him like a guy, and most of the main characters in the other games I've worked on are all men. Um, but you know, I've got two daughters. Mm -hmm. um, I've also played, I don't know how many games where it's male protagonists to start off with. So why not just do something different for once? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I really appreciate that because I because I have a seven year old daughter as well, and she's gotten to the point now that you know we we play a lot of games together, and she will ask, "Why can't I play as a girl? Why mm -hmm. why you know why are girls not available? Why is this character not female?" Like she still doesn't understand why Link is a playable character and Zelda is not in Legend of Zelda. <laughs> That's um, so why I said that the other like they had that they've they've announced the new female Link and I'm like that is terrific for for whatever the game is you know the Dynasty Warriors sort of game yeah. but why don't they make the next Zelda game let you choose character exactly you know, choose, choose exactly. Go because it would mean nothing almost to the game mm -hmm. they're almost they've almost always been interchangeable anyway so mm -hmm. yeah. My, my my eldest doesn't really bring it up often, but I, but she appreciated the fact that it was a, a you know a little girl who was the hero in this game. Yeah. Um, and she likes I think I guess think games like Little Big Planet or things like that where it, where the sex is essentially irrelevant anyway or, or non-existent I guess. Mm -hmm. um, I think she likes those more because you can make that connection and it's really easy for guys to to sort of brush that off because we've had that connection all along. So, mm -hmm. we, we caught stick, by the way, from people who were like, why can't I choose a boy um, to play your game? It's like, because production budgets and, and stuff, mm -hmm. but the story wasn't about a boy, it's about a girl, so live with it. Right. Mm -hmm. And you, you can choose 95% plus 
of any other game on the market and play as a boy mm-hmm. and only be able to play as a boy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think yeah. the, the ideal, unless unless you're making a game like our story was specifically about Miku, so I wouldn't do it in a game like Submerged, but in, in a game where it doesn't matter, I would rather try and build the option in to have any gender that you want, like, because why not? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Bianca, darling? Yeah, we've, I, one question I have is, you know, I know we've sort of talked a little bit about the setting, this, this post-apocalyptic setting, um, and how striking it is that, that this setting is a little bit different than a lot of the apocalypses. Is that the correct mm-hmm. plural? Um, <laughs> that, that we usually see, again, going back to <laughs> right, the apocalypticos? I don't know. No, apocalypses. Um, <laughs> And those, and, and again, going back to that idea of this being a more nonviolent uh, sort of a setting than than most of the apocalypses that we see, um, and so that sort of contrast of the knowledge of maybe violence that has been happening in the environment to create all of this destruction, um, but it's still this very serene version. Um, that we are witnessing in the aftermath, um, and so I'm I'm really I've been thinking a lot about how that converses with other uh, apocalyptic settings, um, and so I was wondering, you know, what maybe inspired you um, to do this different version of that? How you think it maybe converses with other post-apocalyptic settings, and um, you know, kind of what the what the process was in in constructing it in this way. Well, the very nature of being on the ocean, I think, is mm-hmm. is a trigger for a lot of people for serenity. Um, and, and, you know, like, I think you can probably find beauty anywhere. Um, you know, I'm playing Fallout 4 now, and I think it's a great-looking game. I don't know if they've ever particularly striven to create, like, a beautiful moment or vista in there, but maybe, but maybe one exists. But, um, but, yeah, the peacefulness from... Just having the ocean setting is, a, is an immediate win, I think, if you're trying to set it up like that. Mm-hmm. The, the, the process of how... Um, it's pretty convoluted how we came up to the visuals, I guess, mm-hmm. because we had, we had that base idea of, you know, like it's going to be this peaceful, essentially empty city. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's another thing. Is re- you know, removing people from your world is, is another way of making things feel a lot more um, peaceful. Mm-hmm. Um, but so we had that basic idea of this sort of empty city that the girl's boating around, and then Andrew, um, you can see over my shoulder, but anyway, um, he, he really came up with the aesthetic, I guess, of having things overgrown. And that, that was our, um, you know, you want to have the ruins, and there is something peaceful about the ruins, but the thing, having things growing back over it and having something nature-y or natural... Mm-hmm. You know, sort of reclaiming things is where mm-hmm. it's started to become a. It's more like a. I don't know. In my mind, it's kind of like you know, going for a walk in the bush and coming across a waterfall. It's that kind of place now. It's it's somewhere that that can actually be peaceful because of nature and not just because of what came before. Yeah. I'm not describing it super cool. well, but no, no, really no. Well. that's great. But it was, but it was very. Uh, to use an overworked phrase, it was very organic. Like we didn't start out with, um, "Hey, we're going to do an overgrown 
ruined city. It was like, this is going to be a ruined city. How are we going to, how are we going to, you know, make it look good? And how are we going to emphasize the sort of serenity of it? So, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, I really think that's so interesting with like the rebirth, the resurrection of nature, you know, through all of this too. But also like that, that sort of tension created, I think, as a result of this sort of watery apocalypse because like I'm terrified of water. I'm yeah, terrified do. of drowning. <laughs> <laughs> and I listened to this podcast called Lore um, that where he talks about like lots of scary things and kind of historically their trajectory and sort of traces that. And um, one of the, I, the one I listened to today was like about the ocean and shipwrecks and ghost stories that come out of those sort of historical shipwrecks too. And so I've been thinking about that and I've, because I've just been thinking about water a lot lately now too. So, mm -hmm. And so like I think that te that's another tension in the game for me too. Like that the creatures that we've, we've kind of been touching on with the creatures too where you're like, I don't know, maybe the way that we encounter games typically makes us sort of feel like we should be afraid of these creatures and then that the game sort of dismantles these preconceptions for us and I feel like the water is doing that for me too because I see water and I go uh oh someone's gonna drown um, but that wasn't necessarily the case here it was just another sort of dismantling of my notions of the destructive nature of water and how maybe in this game you know there is that serenity as a result of it too and that 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 rebirth that we see in nature. So I really liked that sort of duality being complicated as a result mm -hmm. of that that setting mm -hmm. for me. So mm -hmm. that was something. No, it's, 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 it's a natural fear as mm -hmm. well too. And especially, um, I don't swim in the ocean. Uh, <laughs> even though we're in Australia, uh, we have great beaches, but I am terrified of mm -hmm. things that may be underneath me um, at any given moment. Yes. Probably from some childhood incidents with, with some stingrays and things like that. So, oh, my goodness. Um, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I'm not a big fan, and, and it does hold that sort of fear for me, exactly what you're talking about. And there's actually a, there's a in-world story reason for why Miku doesn't swim. You know, a few people have asked about that too. Um, but again, I'm not gonna, I don't want to fill in that blank, but there's a reason why you don't want to go in the water and submerged. Mm -hmm. um, so there's a reason why she doesn't mm -hmm. swim. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I have um, one or two other quick questions that, that one of our other um, podcasters I wanted to ask, but she herself kind of is submerged. Her house flooded. Oh, oh, no. oh. that's not good. Um, no, not at all. So they were doing as in, as in weather flooding or broken well, pipe flooding. Their power went out, um, and she's on a well. Um, and let's just say that the water might not have been all the way turned off when the when the when the power came back on. Um. <laughs> um, so, so she's doing some cleanup tonight. But she had um, questions, and she said, "Well, you have to ask at least this one." Um, and it's the question about um, about research. And she asked specifically, "What research did you have to do to create this world? Oh. Um, and what research did you do specifically to create these characters?" 
Hmm. So it uh, lots of, lots of different um, areas to touch on there. I mm-hmm. guess. I, I guess if we're just talking about the world and not like obviously the engine or the technology mm-hmm. behind it, because the programmers do a lot of work to actually make make it this kind of large scale world render and and all that sort of stuff. But it sounds. I don't think that's really what she's talking about. Yeah, um, she's like more about narrative construction. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Um, so yeah, it's it's kind of on the design art side. Um, again, Andrew did a lot of um, sort of trawling the internet for ruins, mm-hmm. um, and there's uh, you know there's sort of classical stuff like you know Mayan um, Mayan temples that have been overrun by jungle and things like that, which have their own feel. Uh, but then there's more recent things. You know, there's there's whole towns that got flooded when a dam was built, but then the the dam got taken away, and so those towns have been re-revealed. And there's um, sort of modern, uh, well, World War Two era, you know, lanes of cars that were overgrown because they were abandoned after the war, and, and just all those sort of visual cues. Mm-hmm. Um, we did a lot. Of, we looked at a lot of those. This, this, like, oh, this fascinating thing. If you ever want to look into it, yes. um, uh, because they have all of those places have a really attractive vibe to me, and I, I, it, it is this post-apocalyptic thing. I think the idea of Basically, getting rid of everybody mm-hmm. um, is what sometimes I kind of like that idea of like you know, living in a world without anybody else. Um, when people get kind of frustrated, like, <laughs> I, think, I, think, I think it's I think it's why it's an attractive fantasy. Um, so visually wise, that's that's kind of that angle. Um, narrative wise, uh, into like the the kinds of characters we were making. Um, you know, I think I already touched on this, but we're talking about constructing this this post-apocalyptic society and what they would be like. Mm-hmm. Um, and given our location in the world, we were, you know, thinking about um, the nearby oceanic sort of um, civilizations that have grown up in, um, you know, we're in New Zealand, Papua New Guinea, um, and you know, they sh- they share a lot of commonality with Hawaii and. Um, Hawaiian societies as well. Mm-hmm. So those were, you know, we took a lot of visual cues from there. We, we wanted to make her not white, you know, because we didn't think it would make sense um, for that society and for those people. If those are the people who are going to live through this kind of apocalypse, then, you know, maybe maybe the majority of the people now are, um, are of Maori descent or, or islander descent of some kind. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, for the... The story of what happened to the kids themselves, um, that's, that's, there's nothing, there's no personal story to be told there. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess it was, I was more looking for a, I wanted it to matter to, I wanted Miku to not just feel that natural sense of responsibility that we have um, to our siblings, I wanted her to actually be responsible mm-hmm. um, for what happened to Taku. Uh, or at least, or at least feel, you know, like, like she should have acted differently or prevented what happened to him in some way. Mm. Um, so really, if if you read through that, the, the pictograms of that, um, yeah, you, you'll see that there's a sequence of events there that she could have had an effect on. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, there's no. That, that's about the, that's about the depth to which I researched that that particular situation. Mm-hmm. Well, I have to say, you guys did you guys did well because I have been lucky enough to have seen some of the Mayan ruins, and that mm-hmm. was as I was 
as I was playing through the game, that is something that kept coming back to mind. Um, was my influence, and and I and it was and it was beautiful. And you you talked about it earlier in terms of this kind of reclamation, um, nature's reclamation of this space. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when you first start playing the game, it's like, oh look, it's a space, and there's like plants growing everywhere now. But then as you play and get deeper into the story, mm-hmm. and and nature does what nature does, mm-hmm. right, and becomes more aggressive with that reclamation, mm-hmm. it changes the way that you interact with the space as well, and it mm-hmm. makes you feel differently about the space, mm-hmm. right? So it, it becomes it, it becomes less of a, a hindrance mm-hmm. um, in terms of, oh, this is irritating, hindrance, mm-hmm. um, and more of a, well, of course, the plants would do this, and of course the water would do this because this is meant to be here, and mm-hmm. we are the ones who are the who are the interlopers in this case. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I mean, and to see that, and and with the and with the remnants, and with what is happening to Miku as she pl- as you play through the game, it's like, yeah, it, it's almost like a natural progression of things. Mm-hmm. I just want to say I'm super jealous you've seen Real Mind Ruins because like I'm on, I'm on the wrong side of the planet. <laughs> One day I'd like to, but it's a long way away. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it, it is definitely a sight to behold. Yeah. Um, so, and I'll ask one last question and then give you a chance to to tell us anything that you want to tell us that we didn't ask you about because we've asked you 500 questions today. But that's... <laughs> I feel like you've covered a good gamut, but, but hit, hit me with another question. <laughs> okay. He's <laughs> like, you've asked me everything you <laughs> well, We've got more. Don't worry. Um, well, this last one is, a, is about um, the game itself um, and the way that the, the game gets played in the fail states, right? So... Mm-hmm. Um, one of the ways that pe- some people define a game is, is through the addition of a fail state. But in Submerged, the only way to fail is to give up. Mm-hmm. Why that choice? It's kind of a natural progression from, you know, take out combat and you remove a health bar. So, okay, mm-hmm. so now she no longer has this concept of health. Um, if she doesn't have health, then what, is, what does dying really mean? What does failing by falling off a... You know, obviously there's a lot of climbing, so if she falls off a ledge, what does that mean? Mm. Do, we, do we reload the game from where? Where's the checkpoint? And why do we even bother doing that? Um, so plenty of games in the past have had instant death because you fall off something, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. which I find, I've always found incredibly infuriating, especially, <laughs> if it was, especially if it was an action that... I mean, yes, I'm in charge of this character, but sometimes you're playing some pretty character-driven games. It's like, well, why did that guy... Walk off the ledge to his death, and he's an idiot. No, it's not mine. He should have known. He can see the ledge is right in front of him, so he should know. You know, modern, more modern games have sort of have implemented things to sort of account for this, where you push off the edge and they'll catch on, or they just won't fall off. But for us, it was just the ultimate progression. It was like if we're just going to kill you because you fell off a plank, and then reload you thirty seconds back to you know so you can do it again. Why are we letting you fall off the plank in the first place? Miku wouldn't fall off the plank. You don't Ooh. want her to fall off the plank, and if you did want her to fall off the plank, you know you would have specifically wanted to input an instruction to do that. Mm-hmm. So once we knocked that out and took that away, it was just natural that there should be no failure states in the game. 
and now you, now you know you can't fail, that tension is removed and you've got different tensions that you can focus on, like what's mm -hmm. going on in the world in the story. Um, so yeah, it was just a very natural sort of slide away from the combat stuff towards the let's let's focus on the story. Oh, that is so cool. I admittedly tried to make her fall, but <laughs> everybody, everybody does. <laughs> fall off. Everyone tries to make a drown. Everyone tries to make a fall to a death. I um, love that. I love what you said though. Like Miku wouldn't, she wouldn't fall off. Like yes, that is such. I just, I love that. That's all I'm going to say about that. <laughs> we always ask this question at the end of our interviews. Is there anything that we didn't ask you that you would like to share to tell us about, I don't know, the way things are in the world? I don't know. <laughs> I, uh... This is one of the most in-depth ones on, on the story, so it's actually been really nice. So thank you for that. Um... The, the one thing I'd, I'd probably mention is, you know, one of the other things that affected some decision-making was last year, obviously, the controversy of, of like, Gamergate and mm -hmm. a lot of the sort of high-profile press that that got and a lot of the attitudes that were coming out online, which I really despised mm -hmm. um, and didn't agree with, um, and I thought it, it pretty much showed one of the darker sides of... of um, well, humanity in general, but but also for game development, you know, there was a lot of. I just thought there was a lot of negativity coming out of it, and mm -hmm. um, I was really proud that we'd already chosen to make a female protagonist, you know, because uh, for for reasons which were explicitly because you know we wanted to have a woman in charge of this game for once, mm -hmm. um, and 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 there was a lot of flack going around last year, you know, for people who were making exactly that kind of decision and. I just thought, well, screw you guys. <laughs> um, you know, so I was, it, it's, I, it wasn't a decision that was made in direct response to things like Gamergate, but, um, but I was really happy that we could be, you know, doing something that um, was kind of against a lot of the ideals that the, the group, the hate groups that were around were, were, were espousing. Mm -hmm. That's a, that's a. That's an awesome answer to a non-question. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and one that we really appreciate. Yes, I'm so pumped on that answer. Right <laughs> awesome. Well, Ed, thank you so much, no one, for joining us tonight, or today for you, or tomorrow yeah. for you, actually. <laughs> You're a time oh, traveler. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> And two, thanks to you and all the folks at Uppercut for making this awesome game. Yes, yes. No worries, thank you. Yes. <laughs> so, um, one other quick question. There, the guys are working in the background. What do you have coming next? Uh, we've got nothing to announce. We're we're um, doing <laughs> we're doing a small game and a big game. So the small game. Um, is mostly because uh, the two other founders have now got have both just had babies, mm -hmm. um, so they've both got I think seven or eight week olds. So things have been a bit quiet in the Uppercut office. So we thought we would try and make something small, um, whilst they have some 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 family time, and then we're working on a like a more of a long term larger game. But they're they're both very different games again. Like one of the great things about running your own company is you get to decide what you want to do, and we like making different things. So. So no, no submerged sequel. Sorry, um, <laughs> uh, it'll be it'll be something different again. Cool. 
That's but good we're too. definitely looking forward to see what to see what comes next. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Yes, absolutely. Awesome. Well, thank you very much for playing. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks All for right. making something for us to play. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so I, I guess. I'm oh, sorry. I cut somebody yeah. off. So I guess um, with that, that kind of brings us to the end mm-hmm. of episode 116. Um, and as I said before, thanks so much to Ed Orman for for joining us and and time traveling um, back to yesterday for him um, <laughs> to talk to us about this game. Um, it's something that we've really enjoyed. Mm-hmm. Um, and as we put out the, uh, this podcast, um, uh, it actually won't come out tomorrow, <laughs> um, but it will be released on regular schedule. And when this podcast comes out, we're also going to um, start a contest and we're going to give away a copy of Submerged for one lucky listener. Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah. Um, because I think more people need to play this game. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um. So that'll be fun, and we'll see. We'll see what people think. Um. And that, like I said, that brings us to the end of episode one sixteen. And until we come around to episode one hundred and seventeen, I would like to say, as always, stay warm. Stay dry, and as always, my friends, game on.